0: Hi, Merlin. Thanks for having me on uh, the show again. My name's uh, Anastasio Sarima for some of the people that haven't met me, but TASA for short. Um, I'm the founder and managing director, CEO of Hyperion Metals, which is a US based critical materials um, development company. We're looking to develop titanium, rare earth, and other critical materials for the US. Uh, supply chains, especially those future-facing ones like uh, electric vehicles and consumer electronics. We've got some exciting stuff going on and I'm really excited to share more of what we're doing with you today.
1: Thank you very much for the introduction. Good to um, uh, meet you. Um, I understand you're, you're moving towards a, um, a US listing, is that right?
0: Yes. So in a, the, we are changing our name from Hyperion Metals to uh, Hyperion X. Um, in along with uh, looking at the U.S. listing or pursuing a a U.S. listing, which we hope to achieve in the next few months. Um, We think that that's going to give us a lot more um, uh, opportunities to market to U.S. investors, broaden that investor base, especially given we are a U.S.-based company, a full U.S. team. We have a lot of interactions with different customers, uh, and naturally, a lot of interactions with investors here in the U.S. We think that's going to benefit uh, our company significantly as we
1: move towards that. You mentioned in the past that you didn't want to go over the interim stack of going an OTC listing, but you're just going to go straight for the Nasdaq. What's the um, what's your you know how much of your shareholder register at the moment is U.S. based? Because because um, that you know if that changes, that's a, a potentially a, a very different audience or a larger audience. Yeah.
0: It is a large audience. So we had uh, completed U.S. listings for a couple of my last companies. The latest one being uh, Piedmont Lithium. Uh, we are pursuing exactly the same pathway as what we did with Piedmont Lithium, where when we are not raising money on the listing, we are doing just a 20F uh, registration of our securities uh, via an ADR uh, onto the U.S. onto a U.S. exchange. Um, so it's a fairly quick. Um, uh process we wanted to avoid well we didn't want to avoid OTC just because we thought we could come onto Nasdaq um in a relatively short space of time. We thought that doing the two-step sort of OTC then NASDAQ was probably not required and we'll put all our efforts into just completing the NASDAQ, the 20F and the Nasdaq.
1: Is the response you're getting is is there more interest in the US in the kind of the technology side going down the, the titanium metal route or is there kind of appetite for the The kind of the the rare earth production and the kind of the whole integrated supply chain? Integrated supply chain, there's a
0: lot of um, interest in, uh, especially in our government discussions, in understanding that we can sustainably produce the minerals and then take those minerals and sustainably produce the products that then can be used by the auto OEMs, the consumer electronics companies, uh, and some of the other, and, and the defense industry, for instance. But naturally, the American investor understands midstream, downstream more than uh, the extraction part of the uh, industry. Uh, so there's naturally more of an affinity towards um, getting more excited on the technological side, especially because that's patented process, it's um, it's lower cost, it's decarbonization, it's much more sustainable. Um, so we, we naturally can talk a lot more um, with uh, the US investor about that. They, they have a natural affinity towards that more. But then it is important as well to point out that ultimate integration and ultimate scale um, right now, for instance, we're taking titanium scrap and making it titanium metal powders, but ultimately, if you want to put titanium in every vehicle, in every battery pack, in every v- a new electric vehicle, you're going to run out of scrap and you're going to need that mineral feedstock. Uh, same as, say, rare earths, naturally, you're going to need that mineral feedstock to then put into the supply chain because there's just not enough uh rare earth scrap out there. So we, we probably lead in America with the discussion around the technological side, what we call our metals business, uh, but naturally point out that we want to source sustainable sources of feedstock uh, and sustainable sources of feedstock can come from scrap, um, which is sustainably sourced and cleaned and, and ready for production, ready to go into our uh, process, um, or
1: sustainable source of mineral feedstock. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we put it to
0: that side. So
1: go ahead, Millen. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's a big thing nowadays, isn't it? It's it's a short sure provenance. It's being it's that traceability of your supply chain. Be able to, um, if you can get the link up with a kind of a commercial manufacturer of a product or a semi-finished product, which is then going to go into a uh, a consumer product, consumer good, whether it's a car or a cell phone. Um, you know, if there's a short sure provenance, that that just adds credibility, and it gives you the kind of the um, ESG stamp of approval.
0: Mm-hmm. You've hit a
1: nail on the head completely.
0: You can have traceability and accountability when you can complete that supply chain. Um, right now, um, you know, a lot of things that we do, even if we say extract, for instance, you, if you extract lithium uh, spotamine and create lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide today in America, there's no major cathode manufacturing facility, so that actually gets shipped offshore gets manufactured into a lithium cathode and then gets shipped back. And that's where you know, the lithium industry is bridging that supply chain gap here So and, and bringing it all here so you can actually have better traceability and accountability and a better ESG, um, uh, I guess, checkpoints uh, for that material because once you ship it offshore, especially if it's going into some of these countries like China where there's not as much of a focus on sustainability... Um, in the production process, you don't know what's happening there. So for us, if we can bridge the gap from all using partners and our own technology to manufacture the critical materials needed for America, uh, that's a traceable, accountable supply chain right here in America.
1: Let's look at the report, um, if, if you will. Um, let's let's I, I, um, yeah, I've had a look at a few heavy mineral sands. And I met an Australian geologist who said that one of the reasons he's he spent his career in mineral sands. Um, was because they were on the beach, and he liked surfing and he liked um, the beach life, and so he became a specialist in mineral sands. But um, yours is not on the beach. No.
0: So I'll just share something with you, Merlin, just quickly, just to show um, three slides to just quickly go through what we are. Uh, Can you see that um, well there? Yes, I can. So where we are located, uh, excellent infrastructure for heavy mineral sand um, operation. If we look at the critical mineral operation or the minerals business as we call it, uh, excellent to keep costs uh, for access to end customers, but also for access to low cost operating and capex inputs. Now where we are, we've defined a very large resource already uh, in North America, but this was, these sands where the resource is already defined on was the ancient beach. Uh, 65 million years ago. So you could have gone surfing 65, 66 million years ago here in Camden, Tennessee, but right now you're about five hours away from the coast (laughs) by drive. But these were ancient um, beach sands or beach dunes or barrier islands uh, back 65, 66 million years ago, and these critical uh, minerals were deposited from the erosion of the Appalachian Mountains and eventually deposited in these beach sands over time. And so there's a lot of them.
1: They stay relatively unconsolidated, no clay content. They're not compacted. They, you, you, uh, you done the typically, typically,
0: what we see Merlin the uh, unconsolidated sand starting relatively close to surface, uh, relatively good um, uh, heavy mineral grade, but also very good heavy mineral assemblage, which uh, with a rich amount of. Rare earths in them, quite a lot of uh, monazite and xenotime actually in there, rich in NDPR and uh, dispersium and terbium as well. Um, And what we see is that it is unconsolidated. We do have between 10 to 20% slimes or clay in there. We haven't seen any issues in our current processing for that. Um, but we expect it to be amenable to large scale and very low cost uh, processing options to to develop the deposit.
1: Hydraulic yeah, mining, or is this gonna be kind of a shovel and um, shovel and load? It uh
0: so we're we're gonna be uh looking at uh various options. Um there's uh there has been quite a large heavy mineral sand industry in the United States over the last sort of almost 100 years. Um, It's died down a lot um, over the last 20, 30 years. There's a couple of operations remaining in Georgia operated by Camoas. They use mobile mining units. Um, You could use truck shovel. You could use Dozer Trap. We are in the middle of our scoping study uh, right now, going through a few iterations on different mining methods and and processing options. Uh, But we expect it to be amenable to sort of the Bulk, large-scale uh, mining methods that you see in other um, deposits of this kind.
1: Are you um, in your scoping study, when you're looking at kind sort of the various options of what it might look like, are you uh, defining your output parameters, your product streams, and what you think the the market can absorb, or what you think is right size to the Jorke resource that you've got, kind of coming up? Combination of
0: the two, that's actually a really good question. I'm looking at it more from what would be the right size for an operation in this initial um resource, so looking to right size it for uh for financials and also uh what our customers want. What I can say is that our customers want as much as or, or the the potential customers that we're talking to um want as much as we can give them. So if we have a look here as to what we look to produce. We'll have the typical uh, heavy mineral sand extraction, typical heavy mineral sand uh, wet concentration uh, plant, you know, just using spirals. Come out with a rare earth rich, um, heavy mineral concentrate, so rich in rare earth titanium and zircon. We've got multiple different options to go through. We definitely see a lot of interest in all the products. So this option is definitely on the table, uh, but it's higher capital, uh, more uh, complexity than say some of these options. We definitely want to extract the rare earths uh, utilizing flotation, which has been highly successful in our pilot test work programs thus far. And we're doing some more test work now. We're actually doing PFS level testing as we speak. We're starting that today, even though we still haven't finished the scoping study because that's a long lead time item for our Pre-feasibility studies take six months, and we're doing a lot more flotation test work there. So we definitely want to extract the rare earth concentrate because there's you can the, the US will take as much as it can of it right now. Uh, But then um, on the titanium minerals, we definitely want to extract them as well because, again, the industry is is needing, is completely import dependent on titanium minerals today in the US. And then with the zircon, there's definitely a want to have that zircon. Or there could be the the idea that we sell whatever's remaining of that concentrate, how to, you know, other groups that do mineral separation of the remaining minerals in, in that feed. But I think for titanium and rare earths, we definitely want to separate that out.
1: I the um, last I in great detail at um, th- this sector was getting on for 10 years ago. And at the time, the Chinese totally dominated the rare earth separations. So there, there were no... Commercial plants in the West that were able to separate out your your rare earths because the the physical and the kind of chemical characteristics of all of these little of the light rare earths and the heavy rare earths are so so um, subtle. It's very hard to actually separate mm-hmm. them out, and the, the the technology and the the expertise wasn't really in the West. Um, where will you be processing your rare earth concentrates, and, and you know does that stay in the U.S. or does that get offshored?
0: It's a great question, uh, and it goes to what what types of minerals you're trying to process. So you've got the sort of very low concentration minerals like the ionic um, clays and uh, and some of the other minerals. Typically, the ionic clays are really low in concentration. They're measured in parts per million, which always tells you that something's really low. Um, but um, that is what the Chinese have really um, – uh, being able to progress, um, I think it's called their Bayanober deposit, which is an iron uh, rare earth iron and clay style deposit which they extract from. But for for us, um, we have monazite and xenotone. Uh Once we concentrate out and float out that monazite and xenotime that's a that's a 60 percent rich concentrate of rare earths. Um, that mineral is easily separated. It's very well known. We used to, we used to do that uh, type of cracking and leaching to extract out the rare earths here in North America. Now, the residue of that is a thorium and uranium byproduct. So what we've done, and I'll share my screen very quickly again, uh, is that we've uh, developed a uh, relationship with Energy Fuels. Energy Fuels has a uranium uh, mill, one of the only processing plants outside of China, which can take um, in the monazite and Xenotype and crack and leach it. And they actually utilize the Thorium-Uranium byproduct as a, um, as a byproduct, as a product for their uranium business. Um, now, then you're left with uh, mixed rare earth um, uh, carbonate or chlorides. Uh, they are planning on separation and they are in the process of uh, developing uh, separation on site for that. So we expect in the next few years, they have plenty of cash. Multi, uh, they're a plus $1 billion company listed on the NYSE. Um, I know Mark Chum as well, um, They, who is the CEO. Excellent company, fantastic credentials. Um, we see that the combination of us, uh, with almost unlimited feedstock, and then uh, with that midstream, cracking, leaching, rare earth oxide separation that they have built and are building out the separation piece um, over the next few years, that we completely reshore or to uh, rare earth oxides in America. And then you're just left with this uh, rare earth uh, metal refining, NDPR magnet alloy manufacturing capacity. And we believe, and we will... And we announced last year we're now we're acquiring the technology um, rather than just licensing it. We, our technology is an oxide metal oxides to metal technology works really well on titanium metal and that's a huge market. But we have had early there was early promising results around other metals including rare earths and we're going to be looking at being able to take those oxides that are going to come off the back of that process with energy fuels. To potentially uh, see how our process could could um, manufacture rare earth metals as well. That's that is, it, is that the black sands technology with the University of Utah? Yes, same as what we're doing on titanium metal right now. Uh, it's essentially taking titanium oxide, converting it into titanium metal. It has worked on zirconium. Has worked on uh, in the in previous ex- uh, work that was done by the University of Utah early on. Uh, they focused on titanium metal because that's a huge market and the light weighting of automobiles, which is what our funded the technology for, was, you know, where that big push was. There's a real need. It could be a multi-billion dollar market in our opinion um, to open up more titanium metal. But uh, now the need for looking at better, more sustainable and lower cost production methods for other metals uh, like rare earths, like zirconium and like some other things like niobium, this, uh, technology has promised to to work there. we need to do some more work around it, we will be over this year. Um, but we have a fully operational uh, facility here that as soon as we look at it and do it in the 500 kilogram scale, we can take it to the, you
1: know. Uh, yeah, you can, you, yeah you can, it becomes modular at that point and then...
0: Exactly. Uh, and yeah.
1: and then, then you're able to expand. That, that's really interesting because the... Um, so much of these rare earths are, um, you know, they're critical for the defense in the aerospace industry, for ballistic missiles, you know, the neodymium and dysprosium and all these funny metals that go into guidance systems and, um, you know, enhanced magnets. Um, and it is it is a China-dominated um, uh, production stream. So having that independence of supply, if you can go from oxide to metal, that that um, is a potential... Um, yeah, game changer. However, and, and, I, and I, I, I do want to get downstream, but let's just um, yeah, uh, no um, stay upstream a little bit. Yes, no let's, let's stay, stay on the upstream. minerals business, as I call no. it. No problems. Yeah, stay so on the minerals business. It's about uh, it's, it's about the thing where I have got a modicum of an understanding. Um, okay. um, <clears throat> so, in terms of your, I, I know you're only doing the scoping study at the moment, but in terms of your kind of revenue streams and your splits. Let's lump the zircon in together with the ilmenite. work um, kind of a, a ilmenite zircon-rich project product um, is that? Where the bulk of the revenue sits, and the and the uranium rare earths is a kind of a sidecar that you might be able to optimize. You might be able to, or, or, or is it kind of a, um, a fundamental part of the revenue stream? Does this work on the ilmenite alone? Um,
0: this would work on the titanium minerals alone, so the rutile, ilmenite, and zircon alone. It will definitely work, and it will make money. Um, we are just lucky that we are in a well titanium mineral, so rutile, uh, ilmenite, and then the ceramic mineral zircons have just prices are for titanium and uh, rutile and um, zircon are approaching $2,000 a ton. You know, ilmenite, we've heard prices, you know, $350, $400 a ton in China. So, you know, definitely works. But even at lower prices, more longer term prices that we've seen in the past, it definitely works just on that. But today, with the way the rare earths market is, and we've only got a very small amount of uranium-thorium in the monazite, so that we don't see it as a revenue stream. We see the rare earths as the revenue stream. Um, the rare earths component, even if we just sold the monazite as a uh, as a sale of a mineral, um, that's very high right now. Uh, we've heard prices um, above $10,000 or $10 a kilo for monazite, $10,000 a ton, uh, in China, in um, China. So you start plugging numbers like that and above in, and your your that dominates, um, even though it's a two to three percent of the mineral assemblage, <clears throat> because it's such a high value product, it becomes you know 30, 40, 50 percent of your revenues. Um, now we'll see in the scoping study, we're gonna use what we think are sort of longer-term prices, taking into account forecasts and what's what's happened in the past and then looking towards. Uh, groups that can help us assess that. Um, We feel that, you know, the world is short on supply on a lot of these minerals. So these minerals will stay relatively high compared to where they were, say, 10 years ago. Um, And I still do think it will come through that we don't need it, but the monazite and xenotime, the rare earth minerals, uh, that concentrate creates a significant revenue stream for us and, and pushes the IRRs and the MPVs, significantly um, uh, ultimately in in, in our scoping study and and I think will be a core component of of what we're trying to achieve here because it is such a core piece of the critical material supply chain that America needs to reshore here and although it's two to three percent, this area is huge. This will only be the first of what we think are many other development projects in the McNary Sand in this part of West Tennessee and potentially going into Mississippi and Alabama as well. So we think that already we will have something which reshores a significant amount of rare earth minerals, but eventually has a significant chunk of the rare earth supply chain
1: in America. You've already said it, but that's so the 2 to 3% is by volume or by weight of your products, right? By weight, by weight by of weight. Okay. And um, the monazite processing is a, uh, technology that you could it's a product that you can sell to internally in the u.s and it's a technology that is um, i always have in my head that we were looking for a basinozite because the monazites came with the uranium okay you've got a solution to the uranium but yeah. once you once you strip the uranium it, 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 is it kind of a basinozite equivalent you know is that something that you can get oh yeah
0: yeah absolutely so once you you becomes a rare earth carbonate or rare earth chloride mixed carbonate or chloride so that is readily saleable you know, like I said, Energy Fuels wants to separate that and create the separate rare earth oxides themselves. That is readily salable, um, and then of course the rare earth metals are readily salable. But yes, the monazite, monazite itself, monazite and zirconium
1: concentrate themselves are readily salable as well. That's really interesting. Thank you. Now I'm still going to stick with the upstream because um, just no in problem. terms of no problem, in, tem- yeah. in terms of the dual resource. Um, where you've got to and how much of your kind of land package have you worked, you know, just in terms of, you know, is the, 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 the relationship to what you've defined and the relationship to what you've potentially got?
0: Yeah, let me just pull it up for you again. Sorry for going back to this. But um, here is the drop resource. Uh, we've got about close to 10 million tonnes of contained heavy minerals uh, and this was published sort of third quarter, fourth quarter last year. Um, uh, red is indicated, green is inferred. Uh, so we've got quite a, um, quite a large amount of um, uh, drilled out uh, resources already, 431 million tonnes, a big high grade core of a couple of hundred million tonnes, um, rich in the right sort of um, uh, assemblage that we want. We've picked up more land to the site here since that result. We expect that to all be mineralized and we're drilling that out. We've drilled out a lot here, seen some great results and picking up more land down here. And we've been drilling up through here and seeing very similar results. So we've seen strong results up through here as well. Uh, we would like to continue to build our land package throughout all the way through here. And so there's significant significant potential to expand that resource. But if you look at the rest of our land package, we also have got more down here, continue to build good packages down here with landowners. I mean, we could lease, we will be leasing land all the time for as long as we're an operating company. <laughs> we will lease for the next 20, 30 years. Um, we, now, will it be high-grade everywhere throughout the McNary Sand? I don't think so. Um, will it have heavy minerals? Generally, you're going to always see heavy minerals in some concentration throughout the McNary sand. Where we're targeting is where we're seeing it in high concentrations like what we have out here. You know, And we are going to have some, we've got some further drilling going on out here that we'll be reporting in the future, some further drilling here, drilling here. We've actually got some drilling happening on the Tennessee-Mississippi border, about 100 miles to the south of here as well. Um, so we're just, like I say here, we're just, touching, it's the tip of the iceberg. We think there's there's a significant amount of undeveloped, underexplored um, and untapped critical minerals throughout here in in West Tennessee. And we see these sands continue into
1: uh,
0: Mississippi and Alabama. So the US um, as a country has got a significant amount of these critical materials. It's, uh, you know, potential to be the Saudi Arabia of titanium and rare earth minerals. If you could Put, pick up enough land and, and do the drilling. Um, now, you know, the land here is all private land, so you actually have to go in and negotiate with individual private landowners, whether it's 10 acres or whether it's 1,000 acres. So that's what sort of is the process you have to go through. But we believe that there's significant potential for additional resources just in this area and remaining in where these beach sands were 65 million years ago in Mississippi and Alabama as well.
1: And what's the... Um- What's the vegetation like? What you know? Are you, are you um, what are you, what are you, what are you dealing with? Um, and how sparsely populated is it? Either when you speak to one farmer, over a large land package or one landowner? Uh, so when we so a large land, so the the land
0: looks like I'll show you right here. The land pretty much looks like that. So this is in a Soybean field, um, yep. so in this part of the world and, and, and throughout, uh, throughout most of West Tennessee, you have uh, sort of farming, soybean, corn farming, and then you have quite a lot of timber. So the rest of it is sort of timber throughout there. That's one of our drill rigs that we had earlier last year. So it's quite um, agricultural-focused land use. Um, you're quite a ways away from large population centres. We have the town of Camden close to us, which is about 3,500 people. Benton County itself, where we operate mainly, and Henry County, between them, there's probably 30,000 people. Benton, Henry and Carroll County, probably 30,000, 40,000 people. Um, So relative to, say, other parts of America, sparsely populated, Um, agricultural-focused timber and uh, agribusiness uh, sort of industries, so that's why our focus is very much on sustainable uh, mineral extraction practices. Uh, we're lucky in that, as you probably know, heavy mineral sands, it's active reclamation, so you're not leaving behind a big pit and reclaiming it 20 years later. You reclaim, you have active reclamation as you go. We are planning to work with University of Tennessee and their Institute of Agriculture and Professor Forbes Walker out of there, who is a world-renowned uh, environmental sustainability, uh, environmental scientist, soil scientist, um, to look at... Um, rehabilitation, reclamation practices, which are exceed anything that is anybody has done in the past. So we're very focused on that. We are a big part of the community. Our people live in the community. Um, we deal with the community a lot. I've got friends there. Uh, we want to do the right thing. We want to have, we want to, ideally, the legacy that we want to leave behind as a company is to leave the ground behind or the land behind in a better state than what we found it. So if we can improve Soil quality there, if we can reintroduce native species of grasses, native species of trees, that's what we aim to do with our environmental practices. It's the right thing to do. And it's also right for business because, as I said, we will always be leasing. So if we haven't got a a land package that we want today, but we want it, but we're going to want to mine it in five years, if we've done the right thing over the next five years in development, that group should be open to, will be most likely open to leasing to us in that future time. Um, and it gives us a competitive advantage um, and sort of like a moat for our business where we are the environmental sustainable producer in the area Have developed this and uh, we are the natural first group that a mineral owner or landowner will come to to say, hey, your mine's getting close, could you come and mine my area so I can get those royalties and you can put our, the land back in a better state than what, what it was before. Does
1: that make sense? Yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I promise I'll, I'll finish with the questions on the upstream very soon, but I've got three really quick ones. Um, one is, when is the um, scoping study going to be um, done? When are you looking to put it into production? And have you got a kind of a, 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 a I know you, the numbers will come out of the scoping study, but have you got a kind of a, a concept in your mind of what the kind of capex might look like? Yeah, can't answer the last one because we've got to get through the
0: scope and study um, and all that. What I will say is that, you know, being in an area where you have infrastructure, you don't have to build power plants, you don't have to build, um, you know, power lines, you know, campsites, airports, that sort of stuff. You're going to be... We should be more competitive than other similar operations. There's a few which are in constru- there's one which is in construction today, a few which has been constructed over the last few years. So we should be very competitive on both capex and OpEx costs, but uh, we hope to and we will show that hopefully in our scoping study. scoping study timing uh, uh, end of go ahead sorry. So
1: the one that's in um, the one that's in construction at the moment or the one that's being studied at the moment, open what's the
0: capital it's Coburn. It's a very large um, uh, mine and uh, mineral processing operation uh, being constructed uh, by Primero, um, who we know well, um, and um, it's in Western Australia. It's a very large project. You know, rich in uh, titanium and zircon minerals as well. Um, so, uh, so on the scoping study, we hope to have that completed uh, at the end of this quarter. Um, and be making an announcement not not soon after that. Um, we are well deep into that. Um, we incorporated some other data that came in late last year and we delayed it a bit to sort of upgrade that. Um, we have already started our pre-feasibility um, test work programs. We've sent that to Australia, a big, I think it's a 14-tonne bulk sample. So we are doing that um, and with the aim that as soon as we finish scope and study, this is a relatively straightforward mine and and mineral processing operation. So we aim to get that out and go straight into the pre-feasibility study. I would like to have a pre-feasibility study done by the third quarter and then move straight into definitive feasibility study. With the idea being that we complete that towards the end of this year, sort of early next year. At the same time over this year, uh, we would like to be preparing and be able to submit our key permits to the state um, and work with the communities around Uh, any of the permits that we need um, within the communities um, especially within our community of uh, Henry, within our counties, um, uh, Benton Henry and Carroll County uh, and work with the key leaders and and, um, uh, councils there Um, but then the idea is that I would love to have the potential to be in construction in 2023 depending on where the markets are, what sort of off-take we've secured, when we want to start delivering minerals, uh, and then from there it's uh, construction and operation time frame. So I think we can get there uh, in a relatively short space of time over the next few years, um, but then it's really a decision by us as Hyperion Metals, when do we push the button? When do we go forward? Um, when do we want to line it up with uh, – we want it to be lined up with contracts, with downstream, with customers – Um, And so, you know, taking that into all all that into account helps us uh, will drive timeline as well, because we think we can push this fairly quickly because of the type of mining and mineral processing operation it is and the need from it in America. And then it's really just up to us to sort of, I think, over the next few years, press the button when it's the ultimate um, uh, time to optimize time to press the button
1: to go. Is it fair to say that the environmental permitting will be the uh, critical part item?
0: The environmental permitting uh, is really a state-driven process uh, from what we see today. Um, so we try and work closely, and again, we'll be working closely with the University of Tennessee, which is you know, is a state university, uh, but we also want to work very closely with our communities, which drives a lot of that, Get a lot of support there. Uh, which we have had thus far um, and, and continue that support, continue to do the right thing in our operations and the right thing with our communities uh, and then work closely with the state in, in moving through that, that permitting process. Now, there's certain gates you need to go through, but we believe which if we do the right thing, we, uh, we, we work closely with our communities and with the state that we can have this uh, permitting completed at the same time as once we're ready to um, actually start construction of the project
1: let's go downstream finally um, no problems. Yeah. <laughs> um so the technology taking um titanium oxide and turning it into t- titanium metal um you've got a pilot plant up and running um from what i can see the market is absolutely huge with the potential if you can bring the costs down so can you just talk to me where you are on that pilot plant and that scaling up and that process
0: yeah, we are actually in the facilities. I'm actually in the facilities right now, and I'll pull up i um, I'll quickly pull up a picture of where, where it came from. So the, the technology is based off a scientific breakthrough which Dr. Zach Fong had at the University of Utah. And then he was funded by arpa within the Department of Energy to scale the technology. And essentially he took it in the 2011-12-13 timeframe from small furnace, to this very large furnace where we can do, you know, quite large batches, 60 kilos a batch. We aim to take that even larger this year, um, multiples of that larger this year, and still it will be sort of a pilot demonstration scale, but it will be significantly enhanced. Very simple process, um, very simple, uh, straightforward process uses off the shelf technology, uh, no very high temperatures, it's like baking a cake the way I think about it as I've been doing it. So the pilot facilities are operating today. We're doing it right now. Uh, we've had a lot of interest uh, from potential customers, not just from the defence side and aerospace side, but it's actually quite a lot more interest from auto uh, and the sort of consumer electronics, consumer uh, goods side. Um, so again, can have a huge potential if we bring that cost down because there's a not, not only do we reshore the titanium metal supply chain, which is now being offshored uh, in America is the minerals metal supply chain. We also can have a disruptive effect on not just that titanium metal supply chain, but the aluminum and stainless steel supply chain as well. So that's where we see there being huge potential to, uh, to, to scale this technology and, and create essentially like an age of titanium where we proliferate the use of titanium in a lot more applications. Because light weighting is a big thing for electric vehicles right now. Corrosion resistance, longevity of products is a big thing for consumer products right now. Recyclability is a very big thing as well. And our process is a 100% recyclable process. We're taking scrap now and making titanium metal powders. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of potential to scale this, what is a relatively simple technology based on a scientific breakthrough um and create a massive new uh titanium market um and utilize this technology in other metals as well in, in consumer electronics you know where does that go where what's the market opportunity there consumer electronics uses you know a lot of stainless steel uh, aluminum and different things now um you know same as consumer like uh, consumer goods you know luxury goods and stuff you use stainless steel and aluminum um now um you know uh we, we see opportunities where you could use um, uh, titanium aluminum um, because it's lighter, um, it's just as strong and stronger than aluminum, uh, just as strong. Its alloys can be just as strong or stronger than stainless steel, much more corrosion resistant. You can get good surface finish on it. and make different colours on it as well. Um, so we see many big applications there. Yeah. like For instance, a lot of luxury watches can either be gold thing, but their base models are stainless steel, for instance. Uh, you do have models which are titanium already, um, and a lot of these companies, especially consumer-facing companies, want to have more of a. They all, almost all of them, have a sustainable uh, approach. Um, so you know, it's a it, we see there being big opportunity there to introduce um, titanium into that supply chain. Now we're going to introduce titanium into you know replacement of coke cans. That's not the point here. It's it's in the replacement of some everyday things which we use, where you would want the strength, you want the uh, the um, the corrosion resistance and those sort of things, and we see there being potential huge applications
1: there. demographic yes, for carbon um, fiber bicycles, and uh, I know that. Uh, a, a lot of middle-aged men would also like a uh, titanium bicycle. And there are certain question marks over the environmental impact of the um, environmental footprint of carbon fibre. So, yes. um, um, right. Thank you. Um, now, what are about competition. You know, can, can, someone, can someone nick this?
0: Uh, so this is all patented. Um, there's a lot of trade secrets as well we have within here um, and we continue, we are bolstering our portfolio of patents and, and our technology. So, you know, we think that we've got good protection there. We We always want to be as a company, um, leading with a lot, lot of research, and that's why we developed a strong relationship with the University of Utah and Dr. Suck-Fong's group to continue research and continue improving and optimising the process and always looking at better ways to do things. So we think we've got a lead there. We don't see anybody having the ability to do what we can do at scale. Our process already, we've seen since we've been operating it and we will be coming out with some updates to the market, but we've seen some significant um, interest from industry, but also ourselves, we've seen the ability to scale this quite easily. Um, so we're very enthused by it. Um, and so we don't see anybody having the ability to do what we can do over the next, say, five years and introduce this, especially in this time frame where companies are retooling their processes for new products, especially in the electric vehicle supply chain. And they are looking for more sustainable options. They are looking for 100% recycled product if you can get it or circular economy-style products, um, decarbonization. So we are, we are driving towards meeting um, the needs for those new products that are going to be coming out in the next few years. And we see that we're one of the only companies that can potentially do that so there's a lot of work for us to do still um but we hope over this year and next year we can significantly scale and and show where this uh technology could be and show how it could fit into some of these advanced um products that we're making
1: and when you're looking at your output from um your in your scoping study um you know, you mentioned a kind of a revenue stream coming potentially coming from the rare earths. You've talked about the um, titanium oxides, the, the, the ilmenites, brutiles and zircons. Do you are you looking at uh, your your market being existing consumers now in the conventional um, titanium oxide market, kind of the, the pigments and the paints? Um, are there are pacifiers. Um, or are you already putting in some element of your kind of market from this kind of fledgling technology? Um, and, you know, how will that balance, how do how you model that balance kind of going forward into your, into your study phase?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. We actually keep it completely separate as, say, like I say, it's two business lines. We keep it completely separate. Eventually, they will integrate. But in the current scoping study, we're basing it just off uh, minerals business. So the scoping study will really just be with that, what we call our minerals business, Um, assuming there is nothing to do with uh, the metal side of the industry. The metals is separate to that. On the metal side of the business, as we move through this year, we will be doing some internal and potentially external techno-economic assessments. We will need to update the market on on what we do there. Uh, But the focus here is scale-up, production of titanium metal powders for... Uh, for custom sampling and hopefully contracts um, or strategic partnerships uh, and also um, looking at um, opportunities to apply the technology in other, uh, in other metals like rare earths. Um, so the technology side of the business is run very much like a technology company would be run in America. If you assume this was just the technology and we're a private company, we're running it like it's venture capital funded. Um, just moving, th- moving through it, scaling, creating um, the interest within industry, within partnerships. Um, and then at some point we will be, you know, we will be updated market on various um, milestones. Um, and at some point we will be, uh, looking to come out with this is how much it will cost, this is how much we think we can bring cost down to, this is where we think the first products will be as well. Um, whereas the minerals business, we're very, running it very much like a traditional uh, uh, mineral business uh, that we've we've operated in the past. This is what we produce. These are the existing titanium dioxide markets in the pan and pigment industry, the zircon markets, the rare earth market as a mineral uh, into the current industry trying to keep it separate, and then it's just additive. Um, whatever contracts or EBITDA you get from your minerals business, whatever contracts and EBITDA you get from your minerals business is just additive on top of that and integrates well.
1: What's the this year? You know, between the metals and the minerals business? What is this? Sorry, I, I missed that. What are you allocating your capital?
0: Yeah, it's prob- it would be half-half uh, right now, uh, probably a little bit more skewed towards the – Uh, technology in the last um, quarter of last year we did some major upgrades here at the plant but we we drill a lot we lease a lot on the mineral side of the business uh, to expand that mineral resource Uh, we have geos down there always drilling we have the scoping study going and and the test we're going so that that takes capital and then on the tech on the technology side here uh, at our facilities here we are actually operating and making titanium metal powder so that that takes funding as well. So it's probably split about half-half, maybe a little bit more skewed towards uh, the technology side. Um, Depending on how things go this year, it may skew even further to the metal side of the business, just depending on how much larger we go at this facility. Um, But we expect that then to be counteracted by actual strategic partnerships and potential, you know, research or or off-take partnerships with people that actually want the titanium metal powders.
1: Great story. Um when I, if I was to look at this on a valuation basis, I should imagine it's hard to find peers on the technology, on the metal side, but it's probably easy to find, easier to find peers on the on the base metals. Oh, sorry, on the on the on the um, mm-hmm. on the mineral on the mineral side of the business. Um, mm-hmm. How do you? Perhaps I'm wrong. There are lots of peers on the on the metal side, but um, how do you how do you stack up on your relative to your peers? Uh, on the minerals business, are you? Do you feel as if it's a buy one get one free that you're not being valued yet for um, both, both sides of the business?
0: Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I mean, as a manager, I'm always going to going to think that. I, I try not look at the share price day to day, because you know, done this for a long? Time being a director on a, on listed companies for 15 years, or almost all my career, right? Luckily, um, and. You know, you, value eventually comes as you hit milestones. Um, and if you, you know, if you've got the right the right business, value eventually comes as you hit milestones and you show people what, what you can do. I think just on the minerals business, we're undervalued because one, there's, uh, there's comparables there just when you look at titanium and zircon where we should be able to achieve more value right now. And then there's comparables there in the rare earth space. Today, the rare earth market is getting a lot of attention and there's some comparables there in Australia, in uh, in London, in other companies where we have a significant amount of rare earth minerals and we will be a major, uh, or we hope to be a major rare earth mineral supplier uh, in the future. And so we think we're undervalued just on that. Uh, when you look at the, 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 the technology, and this is where I think you will have a better appreciation for how to value technology here in America, because there is more, um, uh, a lot more comparables here, both public and private um, here of disruptive technology companies. I think that will naturally come through uh, as we hit milestones and as we bring it to the American uh, investor, because they, they have an affinity towards technological disruptive firms, that's what they've invested in a lot of. You've seen a lot of that happen here in the American market, and that's a, a big reason for us wanting to move towards um, that US listing. But I think there's still some comparables in Australia we can compare ourselves against. There's some uh, companies which are which are chasing sort of the the similar integration dream um, uh, in the critical material supply chain. You've got uh, Australian Strategic Materials out there. I think that's a $1.2, $1.4 billion company. I think we're about 120 million billion right now. You've got um, uh, American Pacific Borates, which has done extremely well uh, the last few years, um, and are also pursuing an, an American listing. I believe they've just changed their name, um, focused on boron from, you know, all in the ground going a bit downstream as well. Um, so you've got a few... Comparables there where we still believe as a company we are undervalued, uh, but ultimately we, we feel confident that we hit our milestones, uh, we get uh, news out there um, and we do the right thing and we should be, there, there will be, we, we hope that there will be a re-rating uh, in valuation in, in times to come. We're very confident in what, what potential our business has. And we've got a lot of cash on the balance sheet as well, so it doesn't. It's sort of uh, that that makes you feel comfortable. Because for me, as a as a manager, even though I'm one of the largest shareholders and um, and the co-founder, uh, I'm not looking to sell stock, so I don't mind. I'm looking at where the business would be in 5, 10 years time. Uh, you're only, you know, for me, the share price and the valuation is around. Uh, you know, I want to push that because I want to push. Because I want to minimize dilution uh, uh, for not just myself, but all my shareholders. Um, and so, you know, I'm not concerned about what happens day to day. I'm just very much focused around trying to create that value to minimize dilution when we do have to raise capital. And minimizing dilution as well for us being here in America is also not just about, um, you know, the share price and the valuation that we have right now, but it's also around the right strategic partnerships. Because those strategic partnerships can bring minimal or non-dilutive funding opportunities and maximising our interaction with the current, um, you know, government programs. You know, there's a lot that have been released in the last few years out there, which are supporting critical material development. So, you know, I try and not watch the share price. I try just build the business, build the opportunities for minimal or non-dilutive uh, funding opportunities. And uh, over the longer term, I hope that, eventually drives that 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 should drive value over the long term but as you know markets are up and down sometimes you you don't know what's going on sometimes when you're uh when you feel that you're undervalued sometimes you you'll look at it you know you'll be in a business where you're like oh wow that's overvalued you know you never know the market is the market Um, but hopefully over the longer term it sort of um averages itself out and uh and and the value is reflected upon what you've actually done in the business.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, we, we live in um, interesting times in the market. There's some, uh, there's a fair degree of turbulence out there. But um, thank you. That's been a really um, interesting and informative introduction to um, Hyperion. I look forward to following it over the next few months, um, particularly. Um, the, the, the results of the scoping study really so I can kind of get a handle on what the, the end products of that um, minerals business will look like and um, the other half of my brain I'll be looking out for the um, <laughs> the the, 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 pro, the progress on the on the metal side of the business but um, thank you very, thank you very much for your time yep
0: real pleasure thanks very much Merlin look forward to speaking to you again soon.